Welcome back to Colin Shots. This is Seth Partnow. I am joined today on the uh, back half of a home and home. Uh, did his podcast yesterday, uh, the Game Theory Pod, uh, by my athletic colleague uh, Sam. V- well, my colleague at the Athletic. I, I, I should I should be clear on that. Uh, no, no shade intended, Sam. Uh, shots Sam fired. Shots oh, fired. Mark. Yeah. I'll, Goodness. Shots fired from halfway around the world. Joining me from Australia. Just getting absolutely obliterated <laughs> to start the show. I love it. Coming no, in. it's good. I'm I'm glad to be here. This is great. <laughs> so I kind of wanted to take a different tack to talking about the trade deadline that's upcoming. And you seem like a pretty good person to talk to about it. someone who is both, uh, you know, we, we earlier, I guess last week, um, we, we, along with Danny LaRue published the, uh, the trade, the trade deadline big board, just looking at the players, the combination of like most likely to be traded and most impactful, if so. Uh, so understanding the NBA side of it, but also, um, especially with the currency for good teams being increasingly or almost wholly draft picks, it seems, um, what those picks might turn into uh, in terms of your work on the NBA draft. So a lot has been said about. The, the trade deadline being locked up this year because uh, a bunch of teams are, are bunched close together. Uh, so we don't really know who are buyers, who are sellers. And I think that's true. Um, paying attention to, to some of your stuff, I kind of think that the seems like the relative lack of depth in this draft class and the so far lukewarm opinion of the next two draft classes has some effect as well. Am I crazy? Yeah, very well could just in terms of these teams looking to trade these. See, like, I don't want to be rude to guys like John Collins, Miles Turner, players that I have an immense amount of respect for, but, you know, sub star level players that are really valuable, certainly starters, but not quite elite players. I think that it's kind of hard to find a value for those guys right now. And I think that the fact that this draft right now, I would say beyond 20 or so is seen as a very big question mark. And then the next two drafts as well are seen as significant question marks. Uh, The 2024 recruiting class or the 2023 recruiting class leading into the 2024 NBA draft class does not look very strong, just being completely transparent. And then the 2024 recruiting class leading into the 2025 NBA draft also does not look quite as strong as this one. So this draft, I think if you have a top 20 pick, you'll want to hang on to it. If you don't have a top 20 pick and you're in that 21 to 30 range, you're probably trying to move it, but if you're the Hawks, see, like the Hawks are so weird to me because like if I was the Hawks and I'm trying to move off of John Collins and I have been for years to the point where it's depressed his trade value, I I would think that like a couple of these picks is probably worthwhile, right? Like, could you get, something from Indiana, right? Like Indiana is a perfect fit. If they can keep miles Turner, you could get maybe this Cleveland pick that Indiana has, and then you could get 
uh, one of their young players, maybe Chris Duarte, and then you figure out the salary matching, or you don't because Indiana has gobs of cap space. That that feels like a not unfair move to me, but like part of this as well that I think also could be holding up the trade market is that Atlanta has a new front office and I think is still trying to establish itself. But moreover, the previous Atlanta front office that Landry Fields was a part of, certainly, you know, absolutely was with DeJounte Murray in San Antonio and I'd imagine played at least maybe not the decision-making role, but something of a role in him ending up in Atlanta. I I think that more than anything, these outsized prices that teams played for or paid for guys like Rudy Gobert, guys like DeJounte Murray has everyone believing that OG Ananobi could get three first round picks. John Collins is worth two first round picks. Uh, you know, Miles Turner is worth two first round picks. I think as much as anything, we're still living in the shadow of an off season that completely warped trade values league wide. And there is still an adjustment period happening more so even than the NBA draft necessarily. I mean, doesn't that compound a little bit? Like you mentioned, Indiana, they have what is projected to be 25, 24 and 30 right now with Cleveland and Boston's picks. Um, if those yep. aren't like, if, if, if after 20, this draft class is weak, then, well, those aren't really firsts. So throw in another one. Yeah. Yeah. I think absolutely could. If you're uh, Atlanta, I would want probably both of those picks to move John Collins, or I'd want to pick and or would you? A first round now player. You- because now you're now you're running into well okay we've got all these you know you're kind of in the the Oklahoma City problem of well we got all these like mediocre picks that and only you know fifteen plus two roster spots. Uh, well, but the problem with Atlanta is Atlanta doesn't have a lot of assets after the Dejounte Murray yeah. deal. So for them, I think that like there is actually inherent value in picking up some of these later first round picks in order just to replenish the asset chest. Sure. But though, but I mean, I you know that, that would strike you if you yeah, throw it like I'd rather I'd almost rather like a twenty-seven first instead of like yeah. the Boston pick. Yeah, I would imagine that most that's probably a part of this that is holding things up. But I mean, most teams I think just aren't willing to do that. I think they'd rather trade the value that they know something is going to be and then assess the value that way, as opposed to like if you're you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of an example here. If you are the Los Angeles Lakers, let's say, and you have this, uh, they can't move this pick that they have coming from the Pelicans this year, but like in the off season, they could, I would, I, I would be hesitant to move the 27 pick to some extent, if only because it's it's just hard to know where that organization is going to be in 2027. I think that's what their front office is going through right now. Like me personally, like I'd go all in this year, but like, you know, it doesn't come without trepidation. I think uh, sure. they're just well, the mean, biggest prime example of that. I guess, I mean, I'd, I'd even, you know, a, a fairly substantially protected pick, just the fact that if it comes this year, it's like, what what's that do for me? Like in terms of, of yeah. I, it doesn't really, unless someone really likes someone at, at 30 in this year's drafts, then maybe I, I can, you know, flip it at the deadline or I'm have another 
another, you know, uh, alongside Jalen Johnson and AJ Griffin and Nyeko Okalungu, I've got another young guy. I've got to sort of try to get get value out of. And and how's that help? How's that help me? I that that's more you know, where I'm going with it than like the actual. I'm not like like I'm not even really thinking of the the 27 like a 2027 first as a, as even a player at this point. I'm just thinking that as a chip to have at the table. Oh, totally. No, I I don't disagree, but. The thing is that if you hit on one of these picks, right, like yeah. A.J. Griffin, they nailed A.J. Griffin at number 16 last year. I think that, you know, he, he would probably go something somewhere in the top seven if we were redrafting already. To me, that's a really, really valuable chip for them. And this front office, the one thing they've done really well, you know, specifically we're talking about Atlanta here, is they have drafted really well outside of that one blip in 2021 okay. when they took – Jalen Johnson and um, Sharif Cooper. I mean, even that's like where they, I mean, Sharif Cooper was the second rounder and Jalen Johnson. Uh, I, I don't think we can write him off as a, from a late first position yet. No, definitely not. But like the, the guys that they've taken for the most part, they've like yeah. utterly nailed like AJ Griffin, yeah. they nailed Kevin Herter, yeah. they nailed Trey young. They nailed, right? Like, I mean, you can make a case that, Hey, just take Luke Doncic, but like th- they certainly hit on the Trey young pick. Right. Sure. So sure. Nyeko Okongwu, I think, looks like a hit. That 2016 draft is not, or 2020 draft, I'm sorry, is not particularly strong, it looks like right now. You could make the case they should have taken Tyrese Halliburton. I would have probably done that. But like, at the same token, it seems like Halliburton. I don't think anyone was, though. Yeah. 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 I don't think. That, that's always one of the funny things with drafts. Oh, oh the, this guy that, that everyone thought was around the 20th best player, you should have taken him at three. So yeah, okay. Let's in the real world. Let's uh, <laughs> right. Um, so I think there's not there's a couple different ways to go with that. One, I, I kind of want to take a detour. Um, and you you were talking about you know early returns on this year's draft class. Um, and as someone who's been familiar with these guys, you know, kind of all the way through, um, yep. I think that's an interesting that's an interesting thing to. I mean, obviously we can't say anything about Chet Holmgren. Um, like I think that's just you. you can't say anything. Um, who are some of the guys who have most impressed and most disappointed? I want to guess I start with Jabari Smith and like, is that a guy we get a mulligan on just because like, fi- find me a worse context for like a, you know, a shooting big essentially. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely think he is worthy of a mulligan. He's been okay defensively. There are stretches where he's really good. There are stretches where it seems like he gets a little bit frustrated and the mind wavers a little bit, Uh, but he's still a 6'10 shooter. And I know the shots haven't really gone in this year. I'm not worried about him shooting long-term. Like uh, everything we've seen from him up until this season says he's not just going to be a good shooter. He's going to be an awesome shooter in the NBA. Now, the shot creation stuff has always been the worry, right? He's not a guy like Paulo that can like cross a dude up, you know, hit a hezzy dribble into a 14 foot pull up. Right. But I do think that there is just a lot of space for Jabari to still be the guy that we all thought he was in terms of being great defender, really high level shooter guy that impacts winning basketball at a really high level. He's also like a crazy competitor. He's known as a super high level worker. I get why people would be concerned maybe about like, maybe we're taking the highest upside outcomes 
off the board for Jabari Smith at this point. I don't think I'd really take anything else off the board for him, though. Like, I, I feel pretty good about him being a guy that really will help you win basketball games. It's just us other than that, like that, which I think was, was the suspicion even pre-draft that like the, the, the ball handling and and shot creation was probably Mm -hmm. going to be the thing that presented, prevented him from being, you know, really like all NBA level type potential aside from that being confirmed. I'd like, I don't even do what have we really learned about him? Yeah, I mean, I think we've learned that even in the, you know, maybe the worst structural defensive context in the league, he's still not a, like, he's not the problem there. And I think that not being the problem there as a teenage rookie, which he's still 19 years old, I think that's actually like a real positive that says something about him. Uh, You know, I I don't know if we've learned anything on offense at this point, but I, I do think that, Maybe we've learned to take potentially the highest end outcomes off the board offensively just because of the ball handling being a concern. But yeah, no, I think that I'm not I'm not real worried about him at this point. I get why people would be, but I'm just like I guess I'm not. It's it, it, it's uh, yesterday I had uh, Sarah Todd on yesterday, and we we were we were talking about like the danger of of Utah trading Mike Conley and and. I was going to ask her about the analogy and she went there on her own saying, you know, we don't want to, okay, we've got these young guys who want to get reps. We don't want to turn into Houston. And, and right. I think like, I, you know, I, especially offensively, you do worry about the quality of reps he's getting. Yep. No, that, I, like for San Antonio, this is something I talk about all the time with them keeping Yaka Pertle, right? Like Yaka Pertle is super helpful for all of the perimeter players that they've drafted over the last four years. Keldon Johnson, Devin Vassell, Trey Jones, Blake Wesley, Malachi Branham. Pirtle is a killer, but he's a killer screen setter. He is a good roller to the rim. He's developed some short roll ability. He's a structural defensive help, even though their defense is a trash fire in some ways. Uh, I, I really, I, I would keep Yaka Pirtle. I know he's a, free agent this summer, but like I would try to resign him. Like I'd be like, look, Jakob, if you want 15 million a year for the next three years, I'll do that. Like that, that's okay. You're a league average starting center and you're going to help us develop even while we're in the midst of this rebuild. Guys like that are really, really valuable. I mean, especially for the, I mean, the, the, the cap space doesn't really matter because they're, their books are clean and it's not like San Antonio is a destination. Um, yep. So uh, still like taking, taking that top end off the table for Jabari Smith, does that, is that still tempts you to, if you were doing the redraft the way too early, you know, yeah. half of a rookie season redraft, does that, is there, does that give you any temptation to start to say, you know, maybe I would, maybe I would take Keegan Murray above him. Maybe I would, I mean, who else in the, you know, the, yeah. in the top has been? Like, I, st- I still ben wouldn't Matherin take Keegan. You. Yeah, I still wouldn't take Keegan. I probably, oh man, Ben's hard because Ben is like, do you know Ben is shooting over the last like 30 games from three? It's not great. It's like 25%, 26%. Uh, it's just real. like, I actually feel like he's going to shoot. So I'm not that worried. And I really trust the, 
transition ability he's shown, the aggressiveness. Uh, yeah, that's that's the thing with me with him is yeah. the fact that he gets to the line a ton totally. really puts a, puts a high floor on like you can only if if you shoot decently from the free throw line and you get there you know nine times per hundred you can you can ride through some some shooting slumps and still be yep. okay. Yeah, and he's been okay. Like he, that, that's really what has helped him along the way of being fine throughout his rookie season, even though the shooting has slumped. Uh, I will also say like, I think Jaden Ivy has been really good recently. I, I think I mean, he's been, you don't have like, to talk me into Jaden Ivy, but <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, look, I, I had Jaden in the same tier as all these guys. I know some people had him a tier lower, seemingly the Indiana Pacers had him a tier lower. Uh, also the Sacramento Kings potentially. I, I really like what I've seen from Jaden. He's been super explosive recently. He is, figuring out how to shift gears. The shooting is starting to get there. Uh, this time without Cade Cunningham that has let him not necessarily always run the show, but get a little bit, get some more of those on-ball reps that he might not be getting, it might end up being really valuable for his development. I, I really, really like what I've seen from Jaden. I think I probably would take him over Jabari at this point. I think I probably would take Matherin over Jabari at this point. I'm telling you, I really think AJ Griffin has been awesome. Like, I don't know if I would take him over Jabari, but a lot of the shot creation athletic stuff has translated drastically better than what evaluators thought that it might. Uh, there's always going to be the lingering injury concern in the back of people's mind with AJ Griffin, but he has been really, really good. Really, really, really good. Um, how high do you would you move Walker Kessler if you're yeah it's going, a great, running it back? It's a great question. I'd Walker, I think, at like twenty nine or thirty, if I remember correctly. I I would and the problem with doing draft boards, as you know, because you've worked on the team side, is that everything is so drastically different team by team. Like what I wrote in the draft guide is that. If I knew I was going to run a super heavy drop scheme where Kessler is going to be able to take advantage of that innate skill that he has, you know, playing that game of cat and mouse with ball handlers and bigs and not allowing guards to turn the corner on him and everything that he's done from a rim protection perspective. I probably would have had Walker Kessler as a top 20 team for the or a top 20 player for the Utah Jazz, for instance. I would have had him as a top 20 player on my board for the Milwaukee Bucks. But I do things in a vacuum, which is a silly way to do things. And oftentimes that vacuum ends up defaulting more toward the way that, frankly, I would build a team. And I would build teams, find a superstar, perimeter player, play you know pace and space on offense, try and play five out hopefully have a rim protector, but defensively I would like to play a bit more of a versatile structure as opposed to a heavy drop structure. And I would be interested to hear what you have to say about that. Cause you know, you were with a team that played a heavy drop, drop structure that won a title. And then obviously the Celtics last year played a pretty heavy drop structure and got to a, you know, NBA finals, but they're a little bit more versatile. I would basically be building my team kind of like the Celtics just without, that like 
that player like Walker Kessler for them, where he would be like the significant drop player. You know what I mean? I like having guys like Robert Williams, Al Horford, that part of what makes their drop so effective is that they can switch up that coverage from time to time in ball screens. Um, First of all, I think that I, I, at times I have, I think that, that I don't think Kessler is like the pure end. That's like sneakily Brooke Lopez. Isn't he like, like, yeah, you're not going to, you're not going to have Brooke Lopez, like, you know, chase Trey young out to half court or something like that. But there've been, you know, against, you know, if you're, you're, you're playing Memphis and Tyus Jones is in the game. Are, are you, you I love Tyus Jones, but you're, you're not like, if you end up with, with, you know, him up at the level and you end up switching, you can get like, yeah, you can't, if if that happens with 18 on the clock, you're, you're in trouble. But if he's got to stay in front of Tyus Jones for three, four seconds, he can do that. And I yeah. think Walker Kessler, now, obviously the Robert Williams is a, is a, another thing entirely, but I think, so I think that's the, uh, so that, you know, those are the kinds of things where you're just like, I, I don't know if he can do that. And then, and then he starts to answer it in the affirmative. And those are the kinds of things that, um, you know, it. I sort of for, like to give you a little bit of grace, like you feel okay about being wrong about that because I was a legit concern and, yep. you know, he didn't necessarily get a chance to address that in college and he has, it's been, you know, okay, cool. It's like, you know, Carl Anthony Towns comes in the NBA and instantly shoots the ball. Okay. Well, that was a, that was, we didn't know that he wasn't allowed to do that at Kentucky. So um, yeah, he can do that. It was, I didn't know, but he could, but he obviously can. Um, yeah, no, so- I, I think that's, I think that's right. For the most part, like with Walker, I, I felt really good about him playing in drop. Like I, I thought he would be a really good NBA player, which is why I had him as a first rounder, despite the fact that I thought he was pretty limited in terms of, like, there are not many like true centers like that, that are distinctly drop centers that I give first round grades to. Like I, I, I really liked Walker Kessler. It's just that, again, like it's, I think that I often get in where I get into trouble with these things uh, from a ranking perspective is I build teams, you know, I I rank players the way that I would build teams. Sure. Almost. I know. I, but I think that's, I think that's fair because um, there's, there's a little bit of, of there's there's for that type of player there's questions about it and I would almost rather someone else pay to find out. Yeah, like I'm. Well, I was I was lower than Matherin on than 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 you were because like that's he's a he's that player type for me and then he gets in the in the league because I you know given his 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 kind of what his shot diet was likely to be and, and frankly has been, um, yep. that's pretty easy to be a, a pretty inefficient chucker and then then he. But when he gets to the league, he has enough off the bounce and enough craft that he is, you know, can draw fouls at a high level. Okay, well, that's answered. A, that's answered a question that I don't think was answerable beforehand. So yeah, I, I was wrong. But if I if I miss that way, I'm fine with it. This sort of yeah, no, totally. I think that's a really good way to put it. And like for instance, like another way that you can miss on this stuff is Jalen Williams with the Oklahoma City Thunder. I think I was higher on Jalen Williams than anyone else was in the public sphere last year. I loved him. I loved his versatility. I loved his handle. I loved the frame. Santa Clara, not it. Arkansas, right? Santa Clara, not Arkansas. Although I might have also been higher on 
Arkansas <laughs> than most other people in the public sphere as well. Uh, but the Santa Clara Jalen Williams, J-Dub, like, I think I had him higher than anyone in the public sphere and I still wasn't high enough. You know what I mean? Like, I, I really, really like J-Dub and I was like, man, this guy's really good. He's and really I still big. ended up with him at like 15. Very big. Yeah, he's enormous. He's absolutely enormous for someone who can handle the ball at that size. Uh, but yeah, like if you if you miss on if you miss that way where like you're higher than the consensus, like I don't know, it, it's still a miss to me. But I guess it's a little bit better than the average miss, sort of. No, I that's fair, and I and I think it's it's your. I mean, it, it's the thing is is judging like teams drafts is always weird because you get like two looks at it when it when if you kind of had their whole board you could almost see like what's the average miss you know relative to where this guy should where did they have him relative to where he should have been taken and that that's probably a better way to to size it up than just like oh they drafted this guy a spot too early or or something like that yeah no i i think that that's right i mean so like here's here's actually a really good question for you these are two guys that have been absolutely phenomenal so far defensively this year as rookies. Would you take Dyson Daniels or Walker Kessler right now? If you had to pick. Uh, I think Kessler's answered more of the questions you need to answer about being like the player archetype that they are and effectively. I mean the 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 with with Daniels, it's not just the the it's the, the the shooting willingness as much as anything else that is of concern, and that's that's on two levels. One, if a guy is is an unwilling shooter, it doesn't matter if they go in. Like Kyle Anderson shooting yeah. like forty whatever percent from three this year, he doesn't shoot enough of them, and he there is a slow release, and nobody still nobody guards him out there. So yeah, he's. I think you'd rather have a 36% shooter who is just going to chuck. Yeah. Um, because you, the defense reacts to that. Um, yeah. You'd, you'd rather have Kyle Kuzma than a guy that shoots, you know, 45% from three on three attempts per game. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So there, there's, you know, it, there, there's that part of it. And also like the reluctance also suggests that um, guys who think they can shoot don't need to be told to shoot. And so he, like, the reluctance indicates he's, you know, shooting 33%, 62 from the line. That's his, that's an indication that the shooting is a problem and the fact that he doesn't think he can shoot because he's not shooting. Like, that's that, that word, like. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, like, 40% of his shots are coming from behind the three-point line, but he's just not taking enough shots, period. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that that's kind of always been who Dyson is over the course of the last like three years, at the very least uh, he, he is someone that is willing to defer and be more of a role player and be like a superstar in his role, but be more of a guy that fits in. And, you know, he's a guy that fits in really well on a great team right now with new Orleans, with guys that create shots like Brandon Ingram, like Zion Williamson, like CJ McCollum. But, you know, if you're not a threat out there, teams are just going to hide, opposing poor defenders on you and you're not as flexible and versatile as you think those guys are. 
I think that's a that's that's a, in in the current NBA. I think that's an even bigger problem because we're in we're in a a hundred and I don't know hundred fourteen offensive rating environment. Mm-hmm. Being a passenger just hurts more. You know, if that's we're right. if we're playing if we're playing two thousand four basketball, yeah, you can have you can have you can have the you know you can have the checking line out there and it's fine because nobody's scoring. But you're you're losing ground faster be, by having a guy who's just a non an, an offensive non. This is, this is you know frankly one of my worries about you know Philadelphia this year is there is is you know PJ Tucker is a you know a borderline like a, a zero offensively for them, and as good as some of their other guys are offensively, I don't know if that's playoff viable. Yeah, no, I I don't disagree. I mean. Dyson's still so young. He's still I, I right. Think no, we're not. We're not writing him off. Yeah, like I, honestly, like I, I would still take Dyson because I think Dyson Daniels is are harder to find than Walker Kessler. Like I, I think Dyson Daniels is going to be straight up an all defense guy on the perimeter who is six eight, who can guard one through four genuinely in the NBA, not like fake it, but actually be able to do it. And those guys are in rarer supply, I think, than like you know, top there, there are probably fewer of those guys than top eight rim protectors in the league. Right. Yeah. I think the, the, the bits, the bits about Kessler that, that, you know, and I've always kind of been a sucker for a, a dive and dunk player anyway, but the fact that you he really has, are, it's, it's so funny but, to me that you yeah. love these guys, but um, I mean, I, the guys who can affect offense without having to have the ball in their hands um, is, is sort of uh you know the, the the guy who can get the assists, kind of the guy who can open up, who can create offense just by their movement on the floor. Um, yep. Now teams are playing less spread pick and roll, so kind of the Tyson Chandler role is is deprecated. But the thing with with Kessler, and this is you know I'm not going to put him on this level yet, but the the players of that ilk that are you know big minute starters on good teams are guys who have you know maybe they can't maybe they're not going to space the floor as shooters. But they can catch the ball on the move, make a pass. They can yep. they can put the ball on the floor once, do something. And you know, these are this is what has made helped make Jared Allen, Robert Williams, really good. Is they can do more with the ball than just catch at the rim and dunk. Well, and that's I think what makes Dyson Daniels really valuable. But the other guy that I wanted to bring up that I think is interesting in this context is Jeremy Sohan, right? So. Jeremy Sohan, I think, has done a really good job of moving without the basketball. He's a really good passer and processor of the game for a guy that is as limited usage as he is. Uh, for instance, there was a game that I broke down earlier this year where they the Mavs just tried to hide Luca on him, and Sohan just like kind of whipped his ass for 20 points just by cutting, right? And just by like moving off the ball and making his life harder. Now, when I say whipped his ass, Luca got him for 50 on the other end, but like (laughs) Luca's going to do that. But you see my point here, right? Like Sohan moves without the ball. He does a lot of stuff. The jumper is a real concern. Having said that, this is the point I wanted to get to. Jeremy Sohan started shooting one-handed free throws on December 19th. Over his last 15 games, he's shooting 83% from the line. Uh, after shooting, I think 46% before he started this. What do you do with that, Seth? 
I don't know what to do with it. Do you know what to do with it? I mean, it's it's a tiny number of attempts. It's, it's it looks better. so clean coming out of his hand, though. I mean, the, the I mean, the question is 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 okay. So he's a guy who can be on the floor at end of games and not be a complete liability. But as far as like his offensive contributions, it's a guy who gets to the line less than twice, like gets fouled less than once a game, essentially. Well, so I, yes, you're hundred percent right about that. I guess my point is more like as a general shooting indicator, because part of why people like to use free throw shooting as a shooting indicator is just general touch levels. We don't get enough of a sample of three point shots typically in college, especially for one year players. You typically get a greater sample of free throws. And if you're making free throws at a higher clip, it can be an indicator that, you know, maybe it's a small sample size in terms of the three point shot. There are some things that are fixable. He has touch, et cetera. I I don't really know what to do with Jeremy Sohan in terms of like projection, right? Because of it. Like this is, this is bizarre and unlike anything I've seen before. Well, he's taken more three, three pointers than free throws this year. So I think that that's, (laughs) we can start there and he's made 25% of them. So I think, I think, okay, even even if the, the touch has improved, I think that, um, you know, the fact that it's one-handed means that mechanically it's a very different shot than the one that he has to take from 24 feet. So um, I think, I mean, I I didn't particularly like the Sohan pick because, again, the, the it's, it's just you have to be so good at the everything else for a guy. Yeah, he's never going to do anything offensively. Like if, if the baseline for him being like – a high rotation players. He's got to be Herb Jones. It's, that seems like that's, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's asking a lot. It feels like. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying. I like his feel more than Herb's feel like as an offensive player. I think that he's just like Herb's feel defensively is like second to none almost, but offensively, I think he's still trying to figure things out. I think Sohan's shown more offensively this year already than, you know, they're still, Herb they're Jones are still so far below the line, though. Is, but is Jeremy's 19 is the yeah, difference, though. Fair. Like, that's there, fair. there's a substantial, like, he, he's going to have a growth curve here coming up where that, that's what it's going to come down to. Like, Sohan has great feel. You can see a world where the shot comes around if you believe in the touch. It's just how much better is he going to get as a shooter? How much better is he going to get comfortably handling the ball? These are things that are really hard to project for 19-year-olds, right? Yeah, no, I mean, the the one thing you can say is in San Antonio, when they're rebuilt, he's going to get the chances. Yeah, definitely. To to, to show those things. I wouldn't wouldn't bet on it, but sure, could it happen? Sure. I I think that, I don't know if he's a guy I would, I don't know. I really like Jeremy. I like what he's shown this year. I I don't think I would bet on him being like a... Yeah, I don't know if I th- I think he's going to be like a 20 point per game guy, but I think that like if he can get to 15, he's probably a really valuable player. He just again, he just seems like a player of a different era. <laughs> is is like, you know, back in the day Derek McKee was a very valuable player. I don't know how well Derek McKee functions in today's NBA because of 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 kind of the, the the offensive unwillingness and limitations. That's that's sort of that that's where I'm coming from. Oh, one more of this year's class I want to ask you about 
Uh, and that's kind of the, the player we maybe knew least about or, or um, people who are kind of draft prep uh, familiar with these guys rather than, you know, long-term was Shane Sharp. Um, obviously, um, athleticism, everything that could have possibly been desired. I think that, yeah, Shaden's an interesting one. Like, I think that the athleticism is certainly translated, and I love what Portland is doing, getting him out on the court and just getting him reps, right? If there's one thing that he just so desperately needs, he needs to get on the court and needs to play, like, with, you know, live ammo, right? Needs to play live game reps, just to figure out what he is and what he isn't. I don't think he does anything other than like be an athlete right now, but he's so athletic that like he can stick on a court. He's not disastrous in terms of just kind of being in the right spots. I mean, you know, another guy who was very, you know, with, with Portland, you know, uh, Anthony Simons could not have been on the court. Yep. As, as a rookie to this extent. Yep. And obviously, like, one was picked, you know, in the 20s, one was picked seventh. So, you know, there's different expectations. But the fact that that he is able to function in NBA games as, and be non-disastrous, like, enables those reps to happen for a team that has designs on doing things. Um, you know, it's, again, I, not to keep picking on him, but but why not? Like, James Wiseman also needs reps, but Golden State can't yeah. give him the reps. And they've tried. <laughs> yeah, they, they genuinely have tried, but Shaden at least not getting, you know, run off the court defensively and providing real value as an off ball mover and cutter that can occasionally hit a spot three. It is really valuable. I will say like another guy whose three point volume is not great and is not making free throws at a super high level and is not passing. He's really, but like, again, Portland has limited his role so substantially in a way that helps him stick on the floor and get a chance to get these reps. That's what's really valuable. I think I, I really like say what you will about Portland. I have some questions on how they go about develop or like identifying prospects. I think they do a really good job developing them once they get there. Well, I mean, I think that, I think, you know, for there might be reasons to think the way they identify prospects have changed in the last, you know, a couple months, you know, shout yeah. out to Mike Schmitz. <laughs> but... shout, out, shout out to Mike. You know, Mike was always, I've had conversations with Mike, you know, Mike publicly is, you know, said that he was really high on Shaden Sharp, right? Uh, you know, I think he went on the Woj podcast, like before he got hired by Portland and said, like the home run swing he'd be taking is Shaden Sharp. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure Mike played a role in that, but th- this is an organization, you know, with Joe Cronin running the show, that has always drafted super young and there is a large portion. There is not a large portion, but there is a portion of that front office that is still there. And that willingness to take the flyer on Anthony Simons, the value of, you know, seeing Keon Johnson on the Clippers roster and making that part of your return for Robert Covington. Right. Not to say Keon Johnson has been like awesome or anything, but it is just very clear that they, they look at this through the lens of trying to identify really young players that they feel have like significant athletic upside, offensive upside, and trying to develop them more than anything. 
It's a, it's a tough, tough one to go at without without a G League team. It, and it it absolutely is, but it's been successful so far yeah. in like a real way. All right, so that's like I I didn't mean to take it that long a detour into like a redraft. Um, so I think like a lot of people, I'm sort of most familiar with the two guys at the top and then maybe the Thompson mm-hmm. twins in this yeah. year's draft. Yeah. Um, the college season's in full swing. You say there's based on, on what you're saying around pick, there's, there's 15 or so guys you feel decent about in the NCAA ranks. Is that, is that fair? Um, probably about that number. I think actually, now that you say it, I think the number is actually like exactly 15. So yeah. So what are, who are some of those guys? And then why, like, what is the, what is the, what is the cliff after, after that? Is it just so, yeah. old guys who are have, have don't quite have the right profile? Like what are we, what's, what's the gap? Yeah. So let's talk about the gap first. Cause I think that's just a little bit easier to explain. This is a year of like the big in college basketball and by the big i mean slow bigs zach edies drew timmy's armando baycott's oscar sheepways ryan kalk brenner's um colin castleton's you can can go down the list right there's just a ton of them in this in college basketball this season they they've been you know the best players at the end of the day uh you know you can try and identify some of the younger guys. Like yeah, another guy like Jalen Wilson has been pretty good. Jaime Jaquez has been pretty good. But for the most part, you know, even the guys I didn't name, Trace Jackson Davis, Jolis Tabellis, Adama Sonogo, like <laughs> you can just keep going down. Deron Holmes, they're just all over the place. And there are too many bigs in this draft, uh, too many bigs potentially in this class for how many bigs will get selected in the draft basically. So that that's one problem. The second problem is that there is just not a ton of guard depth in this class. Uh, I, I, I am just completely unimpressed with basically any of the upper class guards outside of Marcus Sasser, I would say. Uh, I mean, you could, you know, Guys like Caleb Love have not impressed. Tyrese Hunter is not impressed. Uh, like he, you, you know, Reese Beekman is kind of interesting at Virginia, but like he doesn't put any pressure on the rim. He's a good athlete, but he's like a six foot three defense first guy. How do you feel about six foot three defense first guys, Seth? I mean, I was just down on a six foot eight defense first guy. Yeah, you know, ten minutes <laughs> right. ago. So. Uh, Adam Flagler has been really good this year, but like doesn't have a ton of shake. Really good playmaker. Maybe the best shooter in the draft class, but he's like 6'2", 6'3". The guard class is just, there's not, there's not a whole lot there. The wings are interesting, and I think that that's maybe where the strength could be. Like guys like Chris Murray, Max Lewis, Colby Jones, you know, Turquavion Smith, depending on if you want to call him a guard or a wing, he's probably more of a guard, I guess. Uh, you know, the, the, Jaime Hawkes, Kevin McCuller, et cetera. There are guys that are somewhat 
intriguing at least, but more than anything, the freshman class so far has been okay. Not great. There have been some really standout performances by guys like Brandon Miller, Jet Howard, Bryce Sensabaugh, a few others. But for the most part, it's not really impressed at a super high level. And then on top of it, you have all these depth questions from the upperclassmen. I think that college basketball is so much parody this year in part because there just aren't as many like super standout like talents across college basketball this season. So it gets really, really hard and really, really tricky, I think, to try and find you know, the depth pieces that are going to come in and step in immediately and be rotation players. Uh, but to talk about the guys that have stood out, like Brandon Miller has absolutely stood out. He's six foot nine, 200 pounds, needs to put on some lower body strength and some core strength. But when you watch him, he's shooting 45% from threes, doing it off a legit movement. He's a solid defender, not necessarily a plus defender, but he can defend in space more than anything. So you just look at him and you go, Okay, six foot nine, legit 40% three-point shooter, can defend in space. I mean, that's that's a real player at the very least, right? Sure. Uh, just just hearing you talk about it, I mean, it, like we something I've kind of nattered on about a lot over the last couple of years is how much playoff basketball differs from regular season NBA basketball. And just mm-hmm. hearing your description of this, I mean, I how the uh the gap between the just style of not even level of play, but style of play between NCAA and, and at least top level NCAA and, and NBA play seems like that's, it is, it is grown ever wider. Oh, it, there, it, it is. Time, I mean, there's been times where when we've been, had a very guard heavy where at least you get, okay, that guy, that guy's got some shake. He can, he can do some things. But if, you know, you're, you're, you know, Drew Timmy is like the collegiest college player who ever colleged. And, and I adore Drew Timmy. I love him. One of the most fun players to watch on a night to night basis in college basketball. I have some questions on how it's going to work in the NBA. I do. Uh, I mean, well, here, here's maybe, what maybe you, the though. positive Even... is Luca Garza has been pretty good in the minutes he's gotten for Minnesota. So maybe yeah, we're being right. too dismissive, but. Yeah. No, but like, here's what I'll say. So I talk to college coaches every day and there's a model right now that a lot of teams are trying to emulate. It's the Gonzaga model, the Arizona model. Xavier is doing it. Uh, There are a few other teams around the country that I'm not going to say that want to emulate doing what these teams are doing, basically playing two bigs across the front court, one of them being like more of a playmaker, like Ajolas Tabellas is for Arizona, uh, like Zach Fremantle is for Xavier. Uh, you know, Gonzaga, you know, part of their issue this year is they don't really have that guy. They have the really, really good one in Drew Timmy. Maybe you could say Timmy's the guy, but they're not playing two bigs all that often. Um, but traditionally they have. They want to be able to play two bigs, bludgeon teams on – the offensive glass while also being able to send three guys back in transition defense, hopefully space the floor, hopefully have one of those bigs that can shoot or play make or have someone that has to be be out on them, guarding them at all times and basically try and like win the possession battle while also winning like the pace and space battle, right? Like those teams will play super up tempo, try to hit those bigs that are sealing guys on the block, 
uh, quickly and sprinting the floor and trying to get those early post seals and early post touches and just trying to make it work that way. So, I mean, can you imagine an NBA team doing that now? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what the hot model is in college basketball right now. I mean, you know, two, two bigs is, you know, more in vogue than it has been, but I think it's a, I mean, I don't think that, totally different though. Well, yeah. yeah. We're, I mean, we're talking about, okay, your two bigs can, you know, are Al Horford and Robert Williams or their Jared Allen and <laughs> Evan Mobley, which are Jaron Jackson. You've basically, you yeah. have to have one alien to be able to do it. You have to have Giannis, Jaron Jackson, Bam Adebayo, Evan Mobley, or, you know, you know, Robert Williams, I Robert guess. Williams, yeah. Like a, yeah. Alien and, on Al, and Al Horford sure. probably counts too. Yeah, frankly. totally. Like just in terms of his intelligence. I mean, he, yeah. he definitely has, you know, and, and ball handling as well. Totally. Like that, that man has been downloaded with like every single basketball skill and knowledge that has ever existed on planet earth. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's just a totally different, you have to have an alien to be able to do it in the NBA and in college. It's like, Oh no, we have Azola Stabellos and Umar Balo at Arizona. You know, they'll take up a shit ton of space in the paint and it'll work out fine because for the most part, college teams struggle to shoot and it's harder to drive in college in that condensed court whenever there are two enormous bodies out there. That's right. So I, I guess, and so I guess it's, it's as much word because that's the sort of the dominant meta right now in, in college, it even drives us further away from getting, you know, a clean, a clean sample of guys. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, it's hard, you know, you, you can find it, but it's hard. And then like on top of it as well this year, I mean, we just had Derek Whitehead go down with injury, you know, this week. Uh, not sure what that looks like yet. Hopefully he's okay. But Nick Smith has played like five or six games. Derek Lively missed time to start the year and just looks way behind the eight ball every time that he plays. Uh, all these guys that were super high level recruits, like some of them just haven't played a lot. And that creates real uncertainty. It's It's just a... It is a very difficult draft to judge this year. There's a lot of high-end talent, but, you know, I think that it really starts to drop off once you hit that 20 point and it becomes difficult to identify guys that are 100% going to be in the draft first and foremost. Like there there are guys like Donovan Klingon, who's like a seven foot two kid at Connecticut who just like blocks out the sun in a similar way to Walker Kessler, where I'm like interested and probably would be willing to take them at like 25 or so. But I don't even know if that kid's going to be in this draft. Right. Hmm. So, again, this 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 all seems to make sense uh, in terms of you know the original question of wait, am I do you you are going to trade me? What's going to turn into a backup center? in in six months for my good player yeah and that (laughs) it's that doesn't seem that doesn't seem enticing yeah no i mean it's yeah you can say that like maybe you're going to get team control over the guy and that you know you're going to have him for four years and it's the asset at the end of the day right like you're you're trading for the asset and you're trying to move the asset on and i get that but again this, this is why i would think long and hard about moving john collins for you know, just to pick out two guys, Jordan Hawkins and 
Jalen Hood, Shafino, two guys I kind of like, but you know, Jordan Hawkins struggles to dribble and, you know, doesn't really ever pass the ball. And Jalen Hood, Shafino this year at Indiana has had games where he's been phenomenal, but has had games where it's been kind of a mess and he still doesn't look all that confident shooting. Uh, and then, like, you look at the game against Michigan State over the weekend, you had two points. And then you look at the game against Northwestern earlier this month, and you had 33 and had 21 against Iowa and, you know, 11 on two of 11 from the field against Kansas. So it's just all these guys are so hit or miss that it's 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 hard on any given night to figure out, you know, who are the actual guys, who are the guys that are going to spend every single waking moment in the G League next year. So before we finish on this draft class, um, I got to give you, uh, I don't know, 90 seconds on Wemby. <laughs> oh, I, let's do that. I, 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 um, I think I am, I have, uh, kind of of the Richard Jefferson opinion that if you looked at him as a prospect and LeBron as a prospect, you think long and hard about which one you take. <laughs> Which is an an absurd statement, but you get, yeah. But it, it's it's a useful reminder that LeBron James, the NBA player, is like the ninety ninety to ninety fifth percentile outcome of LeBron, the prospect. Yeah, I get I get where you're going with it. I, I don't really think I totally agree with that. I do think that in if we were drafting, if we were drafting in two thousand three, maybe that might be the case. But if we were drafting today, I do think LeBron would go ahead of Wembenyama still. But I get I get the point. The fact that it's even a conversation, I mean, the very, um, you know, I, I, I don't know when your sort of prospect radar starts, but like the very short list of bests is something yeah. like, you know, LeBron, Odin, KD, Tim Duncan, give or take Luca and AD. Yeah, I was going to say Anthony Davis certainly applies. Zion, I think, if depending on what you thought of the injury history, I think certainly applies. But th- those are the guys, yeah. Yeah, and maybe you can go back a little bit farther, Shaq. Like that's the yeah. that's that's the, you know the fact that we're even discussing you know in in oh in that- yeah it's like Shaq, it's Ralph Sampson, it's Lou Alcindor slash Kareem Abdul Jabbar, like it's it's all those guys with Wendy. I mean that's the yeah. I mean that's the that's the the I, I said I was giving you ninety seconds and here I go talking, but that's the that's the my my standing line on it is if we had you know, a color video of Power Memorial, just that's what it would look like. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean. I've kind of been thinking of him as this is a stupid ass thing to say, uh, cause this is definitely going to come back to bite me. I've been thinking of him kind of as like modern Kareem almost like if you developed Kareem yeah. in a 2023 basketball environment, I think he probably would have looked pretty similar to this. I know uh, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying if you like, if you, yeah. if we had Lou Elsinder high school tape in color, yeah, it would look like it would like the, the level of like, what is that? Is that that's yeah. what it would be. And like, I've, so like I've gone back and like really tried to like deep dive even into like Ralph Sampson tape. Cause physically there, there are a lot of, Ralph Sampson was skinnier than Vic is. I think I think Vic is like a little bit 
uh, underrated in terms of how much his frame could still fill out. Like he's yeah. 235, 240 right now. If he got up to like 255, I don't think I'd be all that surprised at seven four. Um, Ralph Sampson was like 230 at seven foot four. But Ralph Sampson, seven foot four, had a perimeter game, especially for the time. Like you go back and you look at his game, he's out there shooting like 18 footers in a way that like most other bigs were not. Um, I, I when Benyama is a better he, prospect. He, he, he's got like, a lot more nasty. Like, yeah. like the, the the like if you wanted to compare Samson to a player today, like it's very DeAndre Ayton. And I, I think it's probably a little bit more than that because Samson won three I'm, straight National Player of the Years. I, but and like in, I'm talking about in terms of and, of more just in terms of of kind of the way the talent translates into kind of playing with force, I guess, is, yeah. is, yeah. is, is, you know, I, I think like when can shoot jumpers and he will shoot a lot of jumpers, but he seems like he's got a lot more of a nasty streak than either Samson ever did or Aiden does. I think that's right. I think the other thing that like, look, everyone has talked about just like, oh my God, Victor Wimbanyama is seven foot three and can shoot, pull up threes and, you know, X, Y, and Z, right? Here's the thing that like people don't really talk about enough. He's playing for Metropolitan's 92, right? This team right now is in second place in France. They're 14 and four. For a teenager to lead a team to that kind of success in Europe and be the guy is kind of remarkable. Like, this is not Luca leading Real Madrid, who have yeah. a stacked roster. I mean, it, it kind of is because, like, playing in Euro League is just such a drastically higher competition level than the French League. Sure. But your point is valid. And also, like, what like what this is in France is super impressive. Like the fact that they're 14 and four, this is a team that like just, it had some success. Like I'm not going to sit here and say it was like a bad team or anything. Like they finished seventh in the league last year. They finished sixth the year before fourth, the year before, but then like 12th and 10th in 2018 and 2017, they finished 14th in 2016, right? Like this is not some historically relevant uh, organization, you know what I mean? And th- this is not, this is not like Monaco that's like paying a ton. This is not Osvel that has had like a crazy amount of success in that league, right? This is a normal team, basically. And Vic is carrying them toward the top of the league and could end up potentially in the Euro League next year. <laughs> and the reason they got to your league will not be there anymore, but right. That's also pretty funny. <laughs> it's funny how that works, isn't it? But it'll be a big infusion of uh, money for the organization, which is good for them too. Okay. So we don't have to, to polish that apple anymore, I guess. Um, it, it, anything you want to you know hit on before the, the, uh, the, the 24, 25 classes before we, you know, finish up on, on, uh, you got a bunch of on your show. You got a bunch of my like fake trade ideas. I want to kick around some of yours for the last five ten minutes after give me the oh, any on the on the uh, the next classes, which um, 
it's funny at what there was a time where everyone was like, Oh, this next draft class is awesome. And it seems like we've been in a, a long period of people thinking that every upcoming class is shit. Yeah. And it, well, it's interesting. So I, I think that it has gone kind of back and forth. Uh, people were really excited about this class, right? Like people have been excited about this class forever. Right. Uh, people were also really, really excited about the Cade Cunningham class from the jump. Right. Um, but that 2020 class was not one people were excited about that 20, uh, the, what, what would that be? 2022 people were kind of like, this is not a super enthusiastic class at the top, basically. Uh, I think 2023 go, I think the 2024 draft is kind of similar. Like that, that recruiting class is not one I'm excited about. Like, there are some guys that I like a little bit more than consensus, maybe like Stefan Castle, who's going to Connecticut next year. He's like a six, six kind of combo guard. Uh, I do like Justin Edwards, the six, seven kid that's going to Connecticut, like a real athlete. Matas Buzelis is just interesting as like a six, nine shot creator, but I, I don't know, man. Like there's like, I, I'm not real high on like DJ Wagner. Like Isaiah Collier is interesting, I guess, just as like, you know, he's the best player in the class. Aaron Bradshaw is like a seven footer that is kind of interesting. I, like, I, I don't know that I see a ton of like surefire lottery picks here in this class, which is, which is interesting. I think. That's, uh, that's always, that's always been an underrated thing about the NBA draft is, is sort of for the most part, how early you can pick out five or 10 guys. And and th- that that that's not even there at this you know th- not that far out is I would say concerning. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think it's a really really big important issue, essentially uh, being able to like plan out long term as much as anything. Is it just one of those things, or is there something like structurally that is that is resulting in kind of more un, I, I don't want, un, uncertainty, less, uh, you know, w- whatever it is, is, is there, do you well, think it's just, it, it's just kind of sometimes the, there's ebbs and flows and right now we're in an ebb. Yeah. I think it's just cyclical okay. at the end of the day. Like I, the, the 2024 recruiting class going into the 2025 draft, there are some guys, like I like Nos Cunningham, you know, I, I like Ian Jackson in that class. Um, Zoom Diallo is a name I've gotten from NBA people to watch for, right? Like th- there are guys where there, there are a lot of reasons to be excited about, you know what I mean? And we'll, we'll have to see where it ends up, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's going to be interesting trying to track these guys moving forward because I do think that being able to evaluate how, how good a class is by the time 2025 rolls around it's kind of a fool's errand on some level but it's also very very helpful for you to at least like kind of guess basically where a class is going to be and thus how valuable your pick is going to be last question on this does it is it making it like is there sort of a dilution that happens that makes it even harder now that we have you know overtime elite now that we have g league ignite now that you know, maybe, maybe kids are playing in Australia or something like that. Is that, is that, you know, on the margins a little bit of, you mean, you do, you, 
he doesn't take that many elite guys from a from a group to kind of you know and spread them out to to make it hard to ever see a matchup where it's it's you know best on best yeah you know, like Overtime Elite, for instance, like they, they signed Nas Cunningham very early. And on some level, we've gotten to see Nas Cunningham play against the Thompson Twins, right? And see where he stands. And on another hand, we, you know, ha- haven't gotten to see him where he is against high school guys that are his own age and will be in the draft two years down the road, right? So... It's kind of hard. Uh, high school, you were you saying high school basketball is not like apples to apples, not on the same playing field is where you, you start off. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's not the same playing field, but like it is relatively close, especially whenever you get to like EYBL, Adidas circuit, et cetera. Like you can at least like see guys go up against each other, get like a little minor gauge on top of it. I guess what I would say is like, we're still adjusting to this on some level, right? We're still learning. We're still trying to figure out on the fly what all of this means, what all of this is moving forward. I, I don't really, I, I don't know that there are any answers yet that are just like full on tried and true as we try and do this. Plus we're still, we're still low, like low key. We're still like, this is the, the, like these, these classes are sort of the, almost the COVID generation where it, like there are some players yep. who lost a lot of time at, you know, some important years and that I think that's probably the last two and the next two draft classes that, that that'll probably be true of. Yeah. I mean, you know, the developmental time that's been lost is really, really important in trying to figure out and like, the sorting time as well. These guys are. Yeah. Like, it, yeah, no, I mean, it, it makes it hard. It makes it hard to identify like where, where do I put my eyeballs yes. as much as anything. It's why I like have an immense amount of respect for people who do like recruiting stuff. I'm just like, yeah, you guys do something that I absolutely would not do um, and could not do. Shout out to my friend, Bud Elliott, who does it for college football, which is like, I it breaks my yeah, brain. It's, you know, oh, you have to do the same thing across, you know, what, like eight times as many players and 16 times as many roles. Have, have fun. Um. <laughs> it's complete that in baseball, like, like, Kylie McDaniel, like all those guys, like doing baseball coverage. It's just like Eric Longenhagen. It's just like Jesus Christ. With, like how do you? At do least this? with baseball, you kind of there's 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 a record that is you know somewhat dependable. They yeah. give like you can you can snapshot baseball a lot easier than you can certainly basketball and certainly football. Um, anyway, uh, football's insane. Football's totally insane. Don't get me started. Anyway, uh, to, but at risk of getting you started, I want to finish up. If you've got, you know, we we talked for a while on your podcast, and I'm I'm sure you've got a you've got a burning hot take trade that you wanna you wanna close with. Do I have a burning hot take trade? That's a great question, Seth. Let Let's see here. What do I got? Um, let me, just, let me just spring it on you. I no, 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 no. I, I love it. I would love to see if the Raptors are going to blow it up to some extent, right? Like may, maybe not move Ananobi, Barnes, Siakam, but like blow up the backcourt, right? 
I would be so fascinated to see Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent in Los Angeles. With oh, the there, you, there was suspense there because you could have gone either way. I know, right? I tried to Either one of those is intriguing. Um, yeah, obviously, I think that yeah. that um, yes, adding Fred Van Vliet, assuming he's there's assuming that uh, that Nick Nurse hasn't broken. Yeah, adding him to the Lakers that that is. That's intriguing, certainly. Um, I don't like. And how does that trade come for? As much as Gary Trent, like, is what it is. Like Gary Trent is who he is. Like Gary Trent is he's useful for them. They don't. They they don't have that. <laughs> like the closest right. they have is Lonnie Walker, who you know has been good for them, but it's not exactly the the ideal compliment. It's like the. You know, Gary Trent is maybe can do the poor man's Danny Green or Contavious Caldwell Pope thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think if, that's right. If we, if if you do not recall, the uh, the uh, wings on the last Lakers title team were yes, um, Rob Rob Lincoln forgot that pretty quick, but that's you know. Yes, he did. Unfortunately, uh, but, I mean, underrated. Like I, I thought that the, you know, m- much in the same way that in uh, Walk Hard the Dewey Cox story, the wrong kid died. I thought the Lakers traded for the wrong six, eight, six, nine wing from the wizards. Uh, I think that they very strongly should have tried to chase Kyle Kuzma and been willing to give up a first rounder for him. I mean, you know, I think he would, uh, they, they, I think they would have had a good chance of resigning him to keep him in LA as well. That's also yeah. my thought. Yeah. Like a guy that loves the city, you're willing, you, you can absolutely pay him to keep him like no questions there. So that, that's one that I would have looked at. Uh, yeah. I mean the, the Trent Van Vliet one is just like, it helps with your ball movement. We know that Van Vliet plays super well off of stars. We know that Gary Trent is a really high level shot maker. It, it would kind of reshape and reform their roster in a pretty substantial way. I mean, so, so much the way that you, you wonder well, what, why is, why is Masai doing that, that favor? <laughs> like what, what, what is on offer that makes that, well, I could, yeah, I mean, it'd have to be Ross and then, like, the two picks, basically. Do you even do that? To do it. I don't know. If you're the Lakers? No, if you're, no, if you're the Lakers, you get, get, get the, get, get Seacaucus on the phone right now. I mean, if you're, if you're Toronto. Like, oh, I, I think if you're, if you're the Raptors, I think you do it. Uh, these are two potentially unrestricted free agents at the end of the yeah. year. And it doesn't seem like things are going super well in Toronto right now. On top of it, uh, even more than anything, like, can you imagine having unprotected first round Lakers picks for after LeBron retires? Probably let's assume that he'll be done within four years. Uh, as Scotty Barnes is like hitting his prime, like that, that's potentially super valuable for your organization. At the same time, you have to factor in the, but the Lakers aspect of it, but no, I, uh, yeah. Yeah. But like they, they've been worse more than they've, they've been bad yeah, more than they've been good over the last like, decade. Yeah, no, I, I I guess I see that, and I guess the the like the Raptors are in a spot where, um, maybe maybe Russ helps them if they want to go a certain direction. Maybe Russ helps them. Yeah, I mean by by certain direction. Uh, uh, do, do you mean cutting Russ and letting him move? No, on? I mean I, I I think that's probably the better move. <laughs> I you know they're the, we are bunched up. 
in terms of 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 the standings you can can you get to the fifth worst record yeah i was trying to figure out like how how low could they get it is the fifth worst uh, i don't see them getting as far as san antonio at the fourth worst team i think the four are pretty locked up at this point houston detroit charlotte and san antonio but like orlando is going to win some games in spite of themselves yeah probably i mean they're I mean, did you watch the Jonathan Isaac return game last Saw night? Saw a little bit of it. I mean, they're 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 going to be dangerous. I'll say that. Like, maybe, maybe that's the best way to phrase it. Like, I don't know if they're going to be good, but they're going to win a lot of games that like you would not necessarily expect them they, to. I mean, they sort like, of already were, have. <laughs> yeah, no, but right now they lose a lot of games yeah. also that you would expect them that's to fair. win based off of their talent. Uh. I would expect that those could go away sooner rather sure. than later, potentially. Yeah. Sure. No, that if they get more experience, get Jonathan Isaac back, everything like that. No, I, I, that, that doesn't, that, that doesn't not make sense. It's an interesting, that is an interesting I, uh, idea. And that would certainly, I also have another oh, hot please. take about Orlando. Oh, hit me. Uh, I would trade bull bowl right now. Ooh. Okay. Is just because you're out on him, and and do you do you think I have? I think he's been really, really bad defensively this year in a way that people haven't necessarily caught on to yet. Just in the excitement about him being a definite NBA player, which is awesome, and I'm so excited every time I watch him. He's completely novel uh, within the NBA right now. He is just a really fun guy to watch. Right? They have Wendell Carter, Paul Bancaro, Franz Wagner, Jonathan Isaac. Uh, they also have Mo Bamba, who is like sitting games due to coach's decision now. Uh, they also have Mo Wagner, by the way, who's like, you know, mm-hmm. not a disaster mm-hmm. at the very least. They're super deep there across the He's board. He's a disaster if they could if be you moving... care about the health and wellness of opposing players. <laughs> uh, they have they have all these bigs right now. They have all this length. I think the moving bowl now when he's at the peak of his value. When in all likelihood, I mean, he's not going to be like all due respect to Bull. He's been great, and I've been so happy to see it work out. But for you him. need four guys better than him. He's not better yeah. than Wendell. Yeah, they have four guys better than him already at the four and the five. And I, the Bull at the three lineups just do not work defensively yeah. uh, at all. So I would be, I think now when they have two years left on his deal that's really cheap in a marketplace where teams are really looking for those low, like low salary contracts, because you can have a wider swath of teams, a wider market of teams potentially involved in the trade because contenders that are even in the luxury tax can theoretically get involved in a bull bull deal. I think now is the time where you'd be selling him at peak value, knowing that he's probably not involved uh, as a top four front court option on your next winning team. I see the logic of it. And this is something that NBA teams just absolutely do not do. I know it's like, that's why it's a hot. No, it's, it's the, it's the, 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 we found him and we're going to, we're going to let everyone know it. And we're, 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 we're never going to, we're never going to, to do anything else because we're damn it. We found him. And, if if we trade if we yeah. trade him even if it's a great value we won't be able to show it anymore. 
<laughs> yeah, no. I mean, it's it's really it, it, that, that's that's my that's my current uh, hot NBA trade take because I end up watching a lot of Magic basketball because they are super fun. That this is an incredibly fun team. Bulbul is a big part of why they're fun, but more importantly, it's Franz, it's Paolo. Markel Fultz is an incredibly fun story, even exceeding that of Bulbul, in my opinion. Um, I'm still patiently awaiting Jalen Suggs to figure something out on if, offense. If, if uh, Jalen Suggs turns into two, two something good, then Orlando will have two of my biggest draft L's. <laughs> like I've already taken, I've already taken the enormous L on Wagner on Franz. Um, and, yeah. and I was out on Suggs. I think we, I think we yeah. may have, we may have pottered about it. Why? What, I think we podcasted about yeah. that. Cause I really liked him. Yeah, that that's one where I'm like already kind of chalking up the L a little bit, uh, just in terms of like the upside. It's just not there. I mean, it, it, and anyway. you know, and also, I mean, to to be fair to you, like you know, guy gets hurt a bunch his first two years. It it's sort of Stuff. Yeah, it's like oh well, like that. So much for that. It's like you know, remember you remember Justin Patton like broke his foot like ten minutes into his first pro workout. It's like first work post draft workout. It's like. It might have been a good pick, but we'll never know. The the Magic are also the team that I really desperately need Scoot Henderson to go to. Oh my to. goodness! Can Can you imagine that? Is that? The, that is the the league passiest team since man. Since who? I can't even think of who might the like the the, yeah, the, the last like team that would be that amazing on league pass would be. It would be the ultimate like hipster basketball right. team. Uh, they're already like sneaky. There, they're a super fun team. I, I love that team so much. Are we are we um, doing the Kings Magic twenty twenty four is our is our campaign slogan. Yeah, I mean underrated. Like the Kings are the Kings are probably my favorite team to watch on League Pass right now. But I'm trying to think. Like the the Suns right as this little era kicked off, were very League Pass. That's fair. Like young Aiton, young Bridges, still fairly young Booker. Um, so like you're, you're talking really about the, the, the like the Rubio Baines version of it. Like the first year they got like some yeah. pros on the team, and then all of a sudden, like Devin Booker's like, oh, this is this is how to play NBA basketball, and and, and oh, yeah. Also the the grit like the first or the first and second year like Ja Grizzlies, yeah. I think as well. We're super league passing in the way that this Orlando team would be. I have no idea how we got here, but this is where we're going to end. <laughs> Sam. I love it. Thanks a lot for, for joining me. I appreciate it. It's good. Uh, good talking to you for hours. Yeah, it's good to, good to chat today. I'm glad we did it. Thanks. Right. Seth. And thanks folks for listening. I will be back later in the week uh, with one more episode of calling shots this week.